open up your word. I pray, Lord, that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear. And Lord, I thank you that it's only through the power of your Holy Spirit that we can experience that. Lord, help us to understand how to live as Christians in the time that we are here and just in a sinful world, Lord. But I pray we'd be encouraged, God, because your people have been called to live that way in that context in all of history. We love you, Lord. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you got your Bible this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, this morning, I've entitled the message, Living for Christ in a Sinful World. Living for Christ in a Sinful World. And, and really today, while I am wanting to address our graduates, um, it's definitely a, a passage and a, and a message that applies to all of us as we open God's Word and this morning, we're going to be looking at an overview of the entire chapter of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And, and today, what I want to address to these graduates and again to all of us here, because this is not a message you graduate from, the, the book of 2 Timothy written by Paul to a young preacher named Timothy. And when we see the exhortations that he gives this young pastor, we can understand that the message and the implications are endless for all of us. And so this morning, what I want to do in looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3 is I want us to see that if we're going to live for Christ in a sinful world, we have to have understanding in three key areas. Understanding in three key areas if we're going to navigate successfully by the grace of God in our age. And this morning, we're going to start by looking at the first reality that we have to understand. Number one, we have to understand the nature of people, the nature of people. Paul is writing to this young preacher, and he's encountering a lot of difficulty. Uh, he's encountering a lot of challenges with the people in his day. And, and it's fascinating because as we look at this context, he's actually dealing with people that are in the church that do not know God. People that are in the church, th there was a lot of error going on in, uh, in the church, even in the uh, first century. And there was a lot of people that professed something that they did not possess. But one thing that we learn is whether it is a self-righteous type flesh or rebellious flesh, those that do not God, do not know God, exhibit the same types of behavior because of their nature. When we look at the word of God, we see that people ultimately are either in Adam or they are in Christ. We're all born into Adam. We all experience the results of the fall. But we need desperately the saving work of Jesus Christ. We need God to do a work and a change in our heart because if we don't experience that change of nature, we never can walk obediently to the ways of God. I want you to look at these first few verses with me. We're going to read all the way down to verse 9. And I looked at this a little bit last time as a side reference when we were looking at the call to ladies on Mother's Day in Titus chapter 2. But look at verse 1 of chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient of their parents, ungrateful, unholy, 
heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men." When we look at a passage like 2 Timothy 3, we're reminded that people are not morally neutral. They're not basically good people. A lot of time, uh, I know what people refer to when they say it's so good to see the good of humanity, but we have to understand the only good of humanity is, is because of the common grace of God because we are image bearers. We're created in the image of God. But people are not inherently good. They're inherently sinful. And that is all of us in this room. And, and I want to challenge our grads because it, it's interesting. The way you view the world and the way you view reality says everything about ultimately your understanding of the gospel. Because a lot of people, they say, you know, th we're, there's just basically good people. But what we learn here is that there's something going on that's problematic here. And in this first point, we have to understand the nature of people. We have to see that underneath this, that the problem is spiritual. He says, understand that it's in the last days there will come times of difficulty. It's easy to think of this as uh, Paul writing to Timothy, you know, 2,000 years ago, looking down the corridor of time to the last of times. But we actually learn in the Bible, we saw it in Hebrews chapter 1, the last days kick off with the coming of Jesus. And so you could make a case, and I think you would be right, that we're in the last of the last days. But the last days are basically the time frame from the coming of Christ until his return. And so we look at this and we see that why is there going to be such difficulty in the world that we look at? Why is that? I want us to look at a passage here to help frame this, because Paul speaks about this all in his writings in Romans 5, 12. Notice Romans 5, 12. It says in verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. The reason, the, thing, the, way that, the reason that things are the way they are in society is because of the problem of the nature of a man who has not been reconciled to God. Apart from the redemption of Christ, apart from belief in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, people behave according to their nature. I remember one of my favorite people in Scottsboro, uh, he's still around and and going stronger than most of us. But uh, Leroy Armstrong was one of my youth workers at Calvary. He's a local farmer. Me and Mike Evans are close friends with him. And, and Leroy always used to tell teenagers, he'd say, look, he goes, if we can go out and get a pig and we can bring that pig in. And uh, he said this all the time. And he said, we can clean that pig off. We can put perfume on the pig. We can put little cute clothes on the pig. We can make the, isn't that a cool idea, Julia? Get that pig looking really good. And that pig, though, if the pig runs out of the house, where's the pig going? 
Y'all help me out. Where's it going? Why would the pig go to the mud? Because that's the nature of the pig. Well, there you go. Why do people do what they do? Because they act according to their nature. So the problem is this, is like if we only look at life and behavior as a outward change the makeup, change the external, we'll never understand the heart of the issue. The problem is the nature of man. And we see this in this text. Notice down in verse 8, we see some clues. At the core of this, it's spiritual. What do they do? They oppose the truth. They're corrupted in mind. They're disqualified regarding the faith. They oppose it. It's fascinating because we look at a passage like this and reminded of Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Notice something here. This is important. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. When we think about the fall and we think about depravity, it's ultimately a worship problem. People behave according to what they worship. Do you ever realize that? A person's behavior is going to be reflective of who or what they worship. And, and Romans tells us that when people suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness, what happens? Rather than worship God, they turn and worship something or someone else, and as a result of their worship, their behavior follows. I saw a quote, an author that many of you have been encouraged by, Paul Tripp, he says, what is it then that we're talking about when we say that we are all worshipers? He says, well, this means that we all attach our identity, our hopes and dreams, our inner sense of well-being, and our meaning and purpose to something. You could be here this morning and think, this is not for me. I'm not a religious person. But I want you to think of something. Even as you sit there considering that this is not really relevant, potentially, maybe you're not, it, it actually is relevant because everyone in here is a worshiper. Everyone. You're a worshiper of someone or something. And Tripp goes on. He says, we all give the functional control of our hearts to something. We all live after something. We all tend to surrender and to serve what we think will give us life. He goes on. Scripture says that there are only two possible objects of our worship. At street level, no matter what your theology is, you are either worshiping the creator, surrendering your life to him, or you are in active worship of some part of his creation. Sin reduces us all to idolaters in some way. Final statement, he says, we all put ourselves other people or other things in God's rightful place. So we see that the heart are really the 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 problem that exists when you look at the behavior of men, of mankind, is a spiritual problem. It's spiritual at its core. And the problem goes on. What is the root? You know, the, the root of it is the heart. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart, isn't it? 
And when we look at this, we see Jesus speak about this. And I want you to think about it because how do you live in a society when you don't really understand what really is happening? We, we, I think about these students going off to college and I think about all the different relationships and I think about what an exciting time. I mean, it, it is, you know, we could all get doomsday and be like, oh, we are just scared to death to send you in the world. I say, man, it, it, follow Christ and be a light. What a time to live. What a time to live and shine for the glory of God. But if you go into this world naive as to what's really happening, you'll have a hard time understanding the gospel implications of life. The problem is, is that men have a spiritual problem with God. They've suppressed God's truth. They have literally rebelled against it. And the root problem, as Jesus says in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Do you realize that what Jesus is getting at here, he goes on, these are what defile a person. And you remember the story in the scene in Matthew chapter 15 is the Pharisees were upset because the disciples had not washed their hands and they said they were defiling themselves. I was thinking about that. I mean, have we not been in a time where we've washed some hands? I've never washed my hands this much in my life. I remember when we first got married, there'd be a lot of times where I would walk out where I needed to wash my hands and Ann would look at me and I would look at her and I would turn around and go back and wash my hands. She was teaching me, but I have learned to wash hands. I remember like at the beginning of the pandemic, I was at Dollar General and this sweet lady I saw from the community, she was so worried about my hands that she pulled out hand sanitizer in the parking lot of Dollar General. And I was like, thank you. I didn't ask for it, but she gave it to me. And I took it. I have never done this as much in my life. We can't go anywhere without seeing someone do it. But here's the problem. The problem is, is regardless of how clean you are, re I'll tell you something crazy. It's like, I remember one day I was at Subway and I got in the car and I was like, wait a minute, my hands are dirty. And I didn't go to the restroom to wash my hands. And I was just in this turmoil. So I was like, I'll run to the church. I'll get hand sanitizer before I eat my lunch. I go in here and I get hand sanitizer. A few months later, I see the recall of all the hand sanitizers, and I got suspicious. And I thought, wait a minute, because Piggly Wiggly was the only place in Scottsboro at the beginning of the pandemic where you could get hand sanitizer. Well, I hate to tell you, it wasn't good hand sanitizer <laughs> because I came back and I looked at it, and it was one of the ones that didn't count. But anyway, I was so worried about getting my hands clean. I want you to think about something. Graduates, as you go into a world, remember... Don't fix up the outside thinking it's outward, inward. Understand that unless your heart is changed, the outside will never be what God approves of. It's got to be something that God does internally in our heart and in our life. And what are the symptoms? We see the problem. We see the heart of this. The heart, the heart is the issue. But the symptoms, and I looked at this briefly last time, so let's move through them quick. The symptoms, you begin to see the worship problem. You look at the very end of this list, and it says, lovers of pleasure in verse 4, rather than lovers of God. What did Romans say? Men, rather than worship the creator, they worship the creation. Rather than worship God, what do they do? They worship the creation, and the creation could just be a creative way of worshiping ourselves. 
And Paul says in this list, at the beginning of the list, he says, lovers of self. You're going to be around people, graduates, and what they're going to be all about is loving themselves. They want things to be easy and pleasant in their life, and that's their number one agenda. That's literally the lexicon meaning of this idea. Lovers of ease. Lovers of what's pleasant. Lovers of money. Money's not the problem, but a love of money is a big problem. Because when we love money, it re- re- we realize, we, it reveals that our heart is worshiping money and not God. We're looking to find in money what only God can provide. When you look to find meaning and you look to find joy and you look to find fulfillment in the creation, you're going to be completely overwhelmed with the fact that it never will do what it says it will do. It never delivers, never delivers what it promises. There's going to be proud people. They're going to boast. Arrogant. This means to shine above. Arrogant and proud. They're abusive. Uh, it's interesting. When, when you look at this list, one commentator says, this is a sweeping glance across the barren moral landscape of natural lives, untouched by the saving and transforming work of God. This, this is what it looks like. This is what happens. Why are people the way they are? It's not an opportunity to look at it and say, okay, this is why I'm going to be self-righteous. As we understand this, it paints our need of the gospel. It shows us the glory of Christ. It shows us the ultimate need of mankind. And if you're going to navigate in college or adults, if you're going to navigate in Scottsboro, Alabama, if you don't understand the core problem of people, you'll never understand why society is the way it is. He explains it here. Abusive, disobedient to their parents. There's a reason why the typical junior high student is rude and sarcastic to their parents. There's a reason. The reason that Paul would give is it's because of their nature. It's because they're not reconciled to God. And the one given that you can expect about society when they've rebelled against God is that it's going to be reflective in the way that they treat their horizontal relationships, especially authority, ungrateful, unholy, unholy, no regard of duty to God or man. I kept forgetting this last time. I could not find what I was looking for. The word is heartless here in verse 3. And the word that literally comes out of the Greek means without a familial love. I heard one man at one point say, this is like without a motherly love. I tell you, it, it helps to understand how in the world could people disregard the lives of the most helpless and weak in society without a motherly love? without a familial love. People do according to who they are. People act in a way, and that's not the only issue of our day. Speak about that in terms of living amongst our fellow man. We see unappeasable. We've all been unappeasable before, but this is a characteristic that marks the person that doesn't know God. They're irreconcilable. They're always at war. They refuse to lay aside enmity or listen to the terms of reconciliation. Slanderous without self-control. It means they're unable to govern their own appetites. Brutal, not mild or ungentle, but fierce. Not loving good, treacherous. They'll betray and they'll be a traitor. Reckless, they rush headlong or out of control in the matter. Swollen with conceit. 
It means to swell or inflate with pride. It, you ever seen those uh, cartoons where the cartoon, cartoon character, their head just gets bigger and bigger and it pops? That's exactly what happens to people in the world that are void of God. Apart from the common grace of God, people are not as bad as they potentially could be. But the problem of depravity is that it reveals to us who we are. You see, they're swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And here's something I want to caution you with, young people, graduates. Is, notice verse 5. You wouldn't expect this in the list. Because this list actually... You could go to Matthew 15, 17 through 20. You could go to Romans 1, 29 to 31. You could go to 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. You could go to 1 Peter 4, 3 through 4. In every one of the lists, he describes the characteristics of what the world looks like. But here, these people have similar characteristics to all these other lists, but they happen to be in the church because they're not truly saved. Notice what he says, though, and this is interesting because a lot of times this is what we would want, having the appearance of godliness. One man said, those who practice such religion find the external forms and the expressions of evangelical worship to be amenable to their lifestyles, but they are violently at odds with the gospel's internal effects. You're going to go into places where you're going to be around people that profess the name of Christ, but you're going to be sometimes confused because their life will be completely opposed to what they say they believe. And Paul here is explaining, look, one of the natures of sin and depravity and a humanity that has a nature not pleasing to God is there'll be some that will even go into religious means but they'll have no power whatsoever that displays a heart that's been changed. You gotta understand what you're dealing with. They'll come across godly. They'll be far from it. Why is this? Romans 3 says this, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. And then it says in verse 12 of Romans 3, all have turned aside Together, they have become worthless. There's a problem that's taking place. If you don't understand it, it's going to lead you astray. It's going to leave you confused. If you don't live with wisdom and discerning the times, it's going to be... I was thinking about some of the practical applications. I would love, This would be a fun time to go around the room and say, give me some practical applications. You'd come up with a ton if we, if we reflected on this. I was thinking about this, though. I, I thought about when I went into college, I started thinking about bigger issues of my life, like, uh, you know, one day I'm going to have to start thinking about who I'm going to marry. Wasn't that a scary thought, older people, that the first time you thought that? It started scaring me. I don't know how to this day that I talked to Ann into marrying me. I, I met her. I must have met her on a dark night and lied to her. And, um, but I'm so thankful for her. But you know what? I want to give you something I've noticed. I'm just talking wisdom to me to you graduates. There's a temptation even among Christian parents in the society like we live in. And here's how they think. They think that the ultimate goal of what they want for their kid is they want them to meet a nice young person that's attractive. That's always a little bit better than the alternative. Uh, and that's successful and comes from a nice family. 
And if that happens, they start saying, oh, isn't this lovely? Our kids have this nice young person and they have this nice family they represent. And seldom what's heartbreaking is so often do I even hear the conversation, do they love Jesus? Are they walking with Christ? Because I'll tell you something, young men happen to be the graduates today. Young men, if you find all of those features in a potential spouse and they don't know God, their behavior is going to reflect their nature. And, and, and you've got to be aware of that. What about your friends? I, I tell you, some of you are going to be going off to school. And I'll tell you some advice I heard years ago that I found to be really good. If you don't have friends you're already going with, remember this. The friends you make often in the first two weeks of being in a new place often are the friends you have in four years. Who are you gonna, how are you going to discern the people that you're going to put your greatest investment in? How are you going to discern the people that are going to be the people right beside you? If you don't understand the reality of the gospel and the reality of what Paul's telling a young man named Timothy, you're going to be naive about the nature of people. You're going to be naive about a lot of things because it's, it's not until we understand what Paul is telling Timothy that we even begin to understand the nature of man, that we even begin to appreciate in our own hearts our own need of the gospel of Christ. Because this knowledge and this discernment of people is not meant to be so we can look down on them. This is meant that we can recognize why people ultimately do what they do so through the power of the Holy Spirit we can show compassion empathy, humility, and we can shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ into our midst. We've got to understand the nature of people. But number two, we have to understand the power of the gospel. We have to understand the power of the gospel. He, he writes them, and it's like he's saying, all right, Timothy, you're in this new work, and I want you to understand why is reality the way it is? You see, when we think about the reality the way it is, it's because it's a spiritual issue. They've, they've suppressed the truth. They've rejected God. There's a heart issue. But understand the beauty and the encouragement on the other. And look at verses 10 through 13. Paul says to Timothy, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I was flying the other day from Cleveland to Atlanta, and uh, we're going through security, and there was a gentleman that was standing there, and one guy, I could tell, his wife looked irritated at him, and, and she was looking at him, and he kept looking for papers. So he had inevitably lost something. I felt a lot of empathy for the guy because that's my life and uh, losing stuff. Well, then there was another guy that I realized, he realized he didn't have the paperwork he needed. So what he did was there's this long line. And this long line, now the guy starts walking the opposite way. He's going the wrong way. But he's going past everybody that's in the line. It's never comfortable, is it, to be in that situation? where you're walking against the entire line. I tell you, 
Put that in the terms of the day in which we live. Young people, I pray that you've come to understand the power of the gospel. I pray that you're a believer in Christ. But I want you to see something here. There's a contrast. There's a marked contrast, and you've got to notice it here. As we understand the power of the gospel, you have to see the contrast. Look at how Paul begins his challenge to Timothy in verse 10. Those first two words are critical. He says, you, however, you, however, I love this. The Christian stands in a completely different position amongst people going a completely different direction. And a question I want to ask you graduates and a question I want to ask everybody here, have you experienced a point in your life where you were called to another direction from the way that you were going? Because that's the mark of the gospel. The gospel calls us out of what would be normal for the nature of this world and changes our course We see this all through the scripture. I love that phrase, you, however. I wanted to see where translators in the ESV used it in another place, and I found it in Romans 8, 9. And he uses it actually in Romans 8, 8. And he says, those in, he says in verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And then he says in verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. There was a contrast. There's a marked contrast. And I want you to see briefly here, look at the contrast. This is remarkable. He says what? He tells young Timothy in this passage, in this exhortation, he says, you, however, have followed my teaching. Now, who's who's speaking here? Paul. Paul says, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my sufferings. Now, I want you to think about something. What in the world's happened here? Because we just came through chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. What in the world is going on? But notice the contrast. There's a contrast between the way of Paul and the way of Timothy versus the way of the world, and it's remarkable. It's a different teaching. Do you realize the world has their teaching? The world has their philosophies. The question, students, is this. Are you going to follow the world, or are you going to follow the teaching? Often in the gospel, you'll see the article before the, like a phrase teaching, and it actually will say the teaching. And it's not just speaking about teaching that's religious. It's speaking about the apostolic word that God gave these men that was the word of God. So Paul had a teaching, and it was the teaching of the apostles. It was the teaching that God gives us in his word. There was a conduct of the Christian life. There was an aim in the Christian life. There was a different pattern of living, patience, Love, steadfastness, all of this is remarkably different. And here are the clues. What is going on? So we not only, as we think about, understand the power of the gospel, not only do we have to notice the contrast, but we have to look for the reason. Why is there difference? What does the text say? Well, look at it with me. Back in, the first one would be Paul influenced him. He speaks of that here. I mean, he says... You followed me, but, but notice something here. 
we, we know that his mother and his grandmother played a pivotal role in his life. It wasn't them by themselves. They were simply messengers that pointed Timothy a different way. They were bearers of the message. We see it back in um, here in verse 14. Um, continuing what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it. So we know that he had been impacted there. But, but not only that, we, we see some other clues. Go back to chapter 1 of 2 Timothy and look at verses 8 through 10. And he gets down into verse 9, and he's saying, don't be ashamed, Timothy, of the testimony about our Lord. And then he says in verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. This, this is amazing. What, what had happened was, is they had been saved. They had been called to a different type of life. And then he's quick to show Timothy, not because of what we did, but because of his own purpose and grace. He, we look at the gospel and we see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a message that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's a message that Christ came to take our place. It's a message that Jesus Christ lived the life that we were all required to live. We fall short. We are under the judgment of God. Our lives reflect that in our behavior. But by the grace of God, for by grace have you been saved through faith and not none of yourselves. It is a gift of God. We receive this salvation by faith. And Paul is telling Timothy, look, you've experienced the call of the gospel and because of the call of the gospel and because you've been forgiven, you've been called to a different purpose in your life. Young people, as you think about the next steps, I want to ask yourself a question. Have I been changed by the power of the gospel? Because if you have, God is calling you to see that he's called you to a different life in a different way than the way the world operates. It's a whole different dimension. It reminds me of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is a brand new way. But then we see the differences. I've already alluded to them earlier. But notice this, teaching my conduct, my aim. You got to be prepared, guys. If you're going to go into this world living as a Christian man, you got to be prepared to have an aim that is different than the ways of the world. you got to recognize that. You're going to have a different purpose and resolve and design than the way the world lives. It's a completely different reality. You're going to have a different way of looking at people, whereas the world treats people for their own gain. You're going to be dealing with difficult people, but by the grace of God, through his power, he's going to call you to deal with difficult people in love and mercy and grace. You're good. There's going to be a different way you interact with the world. There's going to be a love. There's going to be a steadfastness. You're going to look at your sufferings differently than the way your lost friends will because you're going to see your sufferings in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everyone that graduates out of this senior class at Scottsboro High School, I can promise you, every one of them is going to go through sufferings in their life. It's only the Christian who's equipped to understand how their sufferings fit within the overall scheme of their very calling. And Paul says, you followed my persecutions, my sufferings. 
How in the world can this happen? I love the passage in 1 Corinthians 6. I'm going to read it to you. Paul says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And here's the key. What in the world's going on here? Verse 11, and such were some of you. What changed things? Paul then says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Finally, this morning, the last one, last reality I think that we see come out of this is we have to understand the sufficiency of God's word. Look at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's like he's saying, keep going, man. Keep going. Keep going. Keep moving. Keep enduring. I want, I want to tell you guys, I pray this morning that this resonates with your heart. I pray that you've understood the gospel of Jesus Christ and you've believed on it. But the call that Paul would give Timothy is you keep going. I've done 15 of these now. It's 15 years the church has been in existence. First Sunday was July 15th, 2007. And you know what I've seen? I've seen a lot of kids go through graduation Sunday, and I've seen their life as they've left high school. I've seen some of them who profess Christ and some of them who've even been baptized. But you know what I've learned, sadly, which is true not only of them, but of all people? Their life over the last 15 years has revealed who they really were. And yours will as well. It really will. I don't say that to scare you. I say that because I love you. I'd be unloving not to tell you that. But we learned something about the Christian in Philippians. He who began a good work in you will complete it. We learned something about the nature of Christian endurance is that those who are truly in Christ are enabled over time. We can't always tell in the moment. Some departures are only temporary because the grace of the Spirit will not let people go. But over time, you begin to see. And what I begin to watch, you guys, it's amazing. Uh, there's a lot of lessons you could learn. Be wise with social media, guys. <laughs> Be wise. It'll burn you. I tell you, what comes out of a, a man's mouth will reveal their heart. What comes out of people on social media reveals their heart also. And I'll tell you, a lot of people, it, not only future employers, but hopefully people that are considering whether or not your marriage material will consider your post on social media. Because you know what you find? People reveal who they are based on what they share and what they say. And one of the things that's been really hard for me in seeing students that I care about deeply is seeing the ways in which their thinking has been guided and moved along by the culture. 
And I tell you, how are you going to live, guys? You're either going to be in a current of the culture, and if you're in a current of the culture, you're going to think just like the world does. It'll be easy to predict. I won't have to look at anything you say or do, but I'll be able to tell you pretty much how you're thinking about the world. But the Christian is not only been touched by the forgiving grace of Christ, they've not only been given a new heart because it's been cleansed by the blood of Christ, but now the Holy Spirit has a means through which he guides them in order how to live, and it's through the word of God. This last point is understand the sufficiency of God's word. It's enough. It's complete. And look quickly with me at what we learn about it. We see in verse 15 how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. We read about his mother and his grandmother back in chapter 1, how they faithfully shared the word of God. And then it says, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The scripture, because it's the word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, God makes people wise for salvation, even gifting faith through the word of God. Paul says in Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But we see not only is it able to make you wise, not only is it able to give you faith, but we see that it's not just man's words, it's God's words. The way you live, young men, as you go forward is going to reveal what you really believe about the Bible. And I want to encourage you, if this is truly God's word, then it's sort of like Elijah when he stood on, the, on Mount Carmel and he says, if the Lord, he is God, follow him. And gentlemen, I want to encourage you because I love you. If this is God's word, follow it with a submissive heart at every turn. Because ultimately, not just you, but your parents, your friends, your relatives, the people that you sit in this room with, the way they live their life ultimately reflects what they believe, not only about Christ, but what they believe about this word we see not only is it God breathed, but then the third observation, it's profitable. It's profitable. What will it do for you? It's teaching. It, it, it will give you every instruction you need for, for living the Christian life, for, for being who God wants you to be. It will reprove you. As you get in the word of God, you're going to be on a campus somewhere, and you go before the Lord, and you say, God, how do you want my life to look? And you're comforted by the fact that it's only through the power of the resurrection Christ that the Holy Spirit can even reveal to you his word, much less change your behavior. But you live your life constantly in a posture of this. God, direct me. God, guide me. God, show me how to live. And the beauty is God reveals to you when you're out of the will of God. But not only that, when he shows you're out of the will of God, he corrects you. It's the word that means to set something that's broken. It's like the setting of a broken arm, making it straight again. But then it says that God's word will train us. But finally, the, the final observation here of the sufficiency of the word of God is that it will make you equipped. This is an amazing idea because it's the idea of fitting a boat. Like in that day, the fishermen would go out. They would need everything on that vessel in order to get the job done. And it's like a, a completely outfitted vessel. And the idea is that God as you submit to his way, as you submit under his truth, he'll give you everything you need on your voyage. He'll give you everything you need. I love this because in the Bible, you guys, it talks about 
that wisdom and knowledge come through the word of God, how in the world can people function in a society gone mad in 2022? I'll tell you what they need. They need the wisdom of God. Because wisdom is being able to connect the dots. Wisdom is being able to take timeless truths and connect them to the time in which you live. So young men, you don't have that wisdom in and of yourselves. But if you submit your way to the Lord's truth, he'll give you wisdom in real time as to how to live. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you wisdom in dating. He'll give you wisdom in ethics. He'll give you wisdom on all of the social justice movement. He'll give you wisdom on every way in every sense. And I'll tell you something. I want to encourage you. This was written from Paul to a young preacher. So this is not just a truth of how the word of God affects us devotionally. This is only understood in the sense of a local church because Paul is telling Timothy the way that you are ultimately, and I would argue because of what he says in Colossians, it's on the board over here on your right. The, the way that people are gonna be presented mature, the way they're gonna grow up is that you need to teach the word of God. And so I wanna challenge you with something. I wanna challenge you guys. I wanna challenge you. If you go away from here, I want you to challenge, to be challenged to find a church, not just any church, but a church that teaches the word of God. Not a church with the best worship band, the most impressive lights, the most impressive programs, but a church that is faithful to God's truth. A church that won't focus on growing you a mile wide and an inch deep, but a church that will care about your accountability in your life as a person. And I'll tell you something, I wanna challenge you with this. Your involvement in that local church will be tied directly to your perception of its importance in your spiritual journey. If you don't see it as important to your spiritual journey, you won't give it time of day. There'll be other things that will fill up your weekends. There'll be activities. There'll be fun trips. There'll be other good things. But until you begin to see that God has established the local church, not just simply as an opportunity for people to hear a preacher, but to live life within the context of a local church, you'll never see its importance. So I beg you, I didn't understand that at 18. My freshman year of college, I wondered, I made it to church maybe two times. I would go to a local buffet on Sundays, forgetting it was even Sunday, and a ball cap, and everybody would come in in a suit. And I was like, well, we missed church today. And I sadly look back at that because I really want you to understand, it's not some sense of checking a box, but it's understanding that if God calls you to live godly, he will establish the means through which he's designed you to grow. And one of the means in which he's designed you to grow is to be accountable to a group of leaders, to be in a church that observes the ordinances, a church that is faithful to the scripture, a church that cares about your life and accountability. I would challenge you with all my heart, find a church where you will be accountable that if your life knowingly rejects the word of God, they would even call you to church discipline. I would beg you and urge you to make that a priority. So you got to understand the nature of people. You got to understand the power of the gospel. You got to understand the sufficiency of God's word. 
But guys, what a fun time to be alive. What an exciting time. And I want to encourage you that the only way you can experience abundance of life is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Freedom is found in Jesus Christ. And I want you to take encouragement that there's this young man named Timothy that is living a fruitful, abundant-filled life because he's experienced the goodness and the grace of Jesus. So gentlemen, the only way you're going to truly find life and the only way you're going to truly find joy and the only way you're going to fully find meaning, it's not going to be in the deceptions and the lies of this world. It's going to be by seeing the glory and the goodness of Jesus Christ as you submit to his word. And that's our prayer for you today. Our prayer is you'll pursue it with all your heart and you will not ever be in any way of life of regret. You'll live with the freedom of knowing and walking with your Savior. So this morning, church, as we close, none of us are off the hook either, are we? (laughs) It's not just a message for graduates. I pray today we would see, like, you know, we think about the nature of people. I pray that we would say, oh, dear God, thank you for the glory of the gospel of Christ. Today, if your heart desires to follow Paul's aim, life, teaching, conduct, which is ultimately what the scripture leads you to, rejoice. Today, I pray that you would see the power of the gospel. You would understand differently about how to think about the world, that you would see the sufficiency of the scripture to give you the strength to endure along this journey. Would you bow your head with me? Lord, I thank you for uh, your word. I thank you, God, that you give us the true sense of reality as to how to see the world. I pray, Lord, we'd submit to it. I thank you for these young men. I thank you, Lord, for how full of life they are. I thank you, Lord, that... uh, Just, Lord, all the different ways that you bless them. I pray, oh God, that each of them has followed you, believed on Christ, and Lord, that they see today the call that you give their life. And Lord, I pray as a church that we would uh, be faithful to pray for them. Lord, I thank you for the call you've given all of us. It's not just these graduates. Lord, we praise you for the goodness of your truth. We praise you that you show us a better way. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.